<laughs> well, welcome to our, uh, our midweek study. It's great to see everybody. Everybody's doing good? Yes. yes, good, good. Everybody brought their Bibles? Yes. Yes, good. Okay, so open up your Bibles to uh, Revelation chapter 21. That's going to be our text tonight. And as you're opening up there, it'd be a disservice if I did not mention men this Saturday. Men's breakfast, 7 o'clock a.m. Just a reminder, if you have the time, uh, please, please come on out and join us. It'll be, it'll be a, a blessing. Um, you know, I found it kind of fitting, timing-wise, just to, to teach from this, uh, this chapter tonight, chapter 21 of Revelation. It speaks of a new heaven, a new earth, and the new Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, today as we're sitting here uh, in Riverside, California... Our pastor and several others that are here in the church, um, be praying for them, by the way. Um, they, they have another several days to go. I'm not sure how many exactly, but um, they're in Israel. They're actually touring the, uh, the Holy Land. And, uh, you know, um, yesterday, I think it was yesterday, I'm not sure just with the time difference, but... Either yesterday or the day before yesterday, they actually had the opportunity to go into uh, the old city, into, into Jerusalem. Um, how many of us here have been to Jerusalem or have been to Israel? Anybody? Right here, front and center. Yeah, well, it's, I'm sure it's a trip of a lifetime. Uh, many of us here, we may not have that opportunity uh, to go and visit Israel. Um, you know, if the Lord wills, then, you know, hallelujah, that would be a great opportunity to go and uh, visit uh, that part of our world, uh, just to have an opportunity to step foot in the holy city of Jerusalem. I'm sure all would agree that it would be tr- truly an amazing opportunity. Uh, I was scrolling through the Facebook feed yesterday, and I saw one of the posts that Pastor Raw um, shared with, with everyone, and it was about just you know, that moment or that time when, as he was going into the city of Jerusalem his, his, himself, and it, he was quoted as saying that it was a bit overwhelming uh, entering into the city of Jerusalem. Um, overwhelming may be a, an understatement if you can imagine the anticipation, the emotion, I'm sure the excitement, um, I'm sure it, it truly was overwhelming for him. The holy city of Jerusalem, Zion, the city of David, what a blessing uh, for, for them to have this opportunity. You know, the city of Jerusalem, it holds so much value uh, historically and biblically. I mean, there's centuries and centuries, thousands of, thousands of years of history layered meters deep. And uh, tonight I want to share with you about this city because not, not so much the, the Jerusalem of, of past or even the Jerusalem of present, but more so the new Jerusalem. Because this is a city that all of us as believers will one day get to experience and see with our very eyes. It's a city that, you know what, the ticket has already been paid for each of every one of us here 
the price has been paid by Jesus Christ himself. And we as believers, we get to one day step foot into the holy city of the new Jerusalem. What a great city. And talk about excitement. Talk about anticipation. Talk about emotion of that moment that we get to see with our very eyes. The city that God himself has been preparing for you and I. A little bit of background on the city of Jerusalem. It sits on on the Judean mountains in the central parts of Israel. The old city of Jerusalem is surrounded by three sides of steep valleys, the Hinnom, which is on the south and west, and the Kidron on the east. And, I mean, just when you mention the word Jerusalem, what do you think of? I'm sure there's a lot of pictures or stories even that come to mind when you think or when you hear the word Jerusalem. For a lot of people, you may imagine a postcard with a scenic landscape of the Western Wall, which is also known as the Wailing Wall. It's a remnant of the retaining wall of the mount of which the temple once stood thousands of years ago. It was destroyed. Perhaps you think of the Temple Mount area. We all know that the Dome of the Rock is there. Maybe it's just the architecture, the beauty of the old city itself, the buildings, the people. Perhaps you think of a busy marketplace with narrow alleys, traders howling out the latest prices and bargains in Hebrew or Arabic. For the Jews, it's the city that King David made the capital of his kingdom. For us as believers, it's the place it's the place of the crucifixion. It's the place where Jesus Christ died, where he was buried, and where he was rose again. Jerusalem is the place where the church was birthed. And Jerusalem is a city that literally it commands the attention of the entire world. Jerusalem is the only city where God put his name. The Lord said to David in 2 Kings 21.7, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. You see, God has promised an everlasting covenant with Jerusalem. In Zion, he gave this promise in Isaiah 54.10. He says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Scripture also tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. As I said, this city, literally in the center of the world, commands the attention of the world. Prophetically speaking, we know that in 1948, we, we, they, we witnessed the, the rebirth of Israel. The dry bones of the prophecy of Ezekiel 37 began to come back together. And we know that just recently, even Jerusalem was recognized uh, by, by the United States as the capital So you see the stage is being set. There are many prophecies that 
have yet to be fulfilled. Zechariah 12.2, it says, Behold, I'm about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. It's amazing how such a small part of the world has so much of an influence, of an impact on every single nation. How truly it has become a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. You know, in Ezekiel 38, um, it's prophesied about a coming day where Jerusalem and Israel will be attacked by the rulers of the north, Gog and Magog. Many other countries will unite with the rulers of the north. And Ezekiel 38 says to the kings of the north that you will be like a cloud covering the land, you and your hordes and many peoples with you. There will be a great army that comes against the nation of Israel and against Jerusalem. All of them, Ezekiel says, riding on horses, a great host, a mighty army. And in the last days, the Lord says that he will bring them against his land, that the nations may know me, when through you, O Gog, I vindicate my holiness before your eyes. The nations will know that he is the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. One day soon after that, Zechariah 14:4 says that Jesus will descend to the Mount of Olives. This is known as the second coming of Jesus Christ. His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. Can you imagine that? I mean, the Jesus who we read about in the Bible is going to one day descend from heaven. Just as he ascended to heaven 2,000 years ago, this time he will descend with armies, with his saints, and he will actually step on the very Mount of Olives that we know today. It's a definitive point in the future that is yet to come when Jesus Christ will return to this earth, where he will return to Jerusalem. And when that day comes, those who are here will mourn for not having accepted the Messiah the first time that he came. It's at that point where Jesus will set up his millennial reign. Isaiah 2 says, For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This will be truly a reign of justice and of peace. Isaiah 9-7 speaks of it. During the millennial kingdom, he will reign. Jesus Christ will reign over the earth from Zion, and the nations will come to Jerusalem for instruction and for blessing. What a glorious time this will be. But even as great as this time sounds, This won't be the finished product. The Lord has promised that he will make a new heaven and a new earth. In 1 Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 3, I'm sorry, in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, 
Peter talks to us about, as believers, how we're going to receive an inheritance. And that inheritance is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. And it's kept in heaven for you. One day, you and I will get to experience the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem is also called the tabernacle of God. It's called the holy city, the city of God, the city foursquare, and the heavenly Jerusalem. It's literally heaven on earth. The author of Hebrews 13, 14 says this, for here we have no lasting city. Speaking of this earth that we live on, things are, are constantly changing. Nothing is sure but we seek the city that is to come. This is the city that he's talking about, the new Jerusalem. And here in Revelation 21, we're going to read this whole chapter tonight, but this is the recorded history of man at its end. All the ages have come and gone. The rapture has already taken place. We are in heaven with the Lord. And this is really just a, a beautiful picture that, that John, that John uh, paints for us, that he, that he shares with us. It's a vision that he was given uh, by the Lord himself. And so in verse 1, we read, John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. It's at this very point that we enter what is called the eternal state. Time is no longer measured. The eternal state is a term that's used in eschatology, which means the doctrine of of, uh, last things. And really what what God does here is he does a complete makeover of of heaven and earth. In Isaiah 65, 17, it was prophesied, he writes, Behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. That word, create, that is used there in the Hebrew in Isaiah 65, 17, it comes, it, it, the Hebrew word for that word create is called bara, B-A-R-A, bara. And that is the same word which is also used in Genesis 1.1 where it says, in the beginning God created or God bara the heaven and the earth. The word bara and the heaven in the Hebrew, it means to make something out of nothing. And that is something that only God can do. 1 Peter 3 teaches that one day this heaven and earth will one day pass away. And 2 Peter 3.13 says, But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You see, God will not be restoring this present earth, so to say, that we live on, but it'll be a total new creation, making something out of nothing. Verse 2, here John sees a glimpse of the new Jerusalem in his vision. He says, And I saw a holy city, This is the holy city. This is the new Jerusalem. This is the new capital of the new creation. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, he writes. You know, I love 
I love big cities. I'm fascinated with just all the buildings, the architecture, the culture. There's just something about big cities that have, have always uh, fascinated me. But this is a city that Abraham looked for in faith. Hebrews 11.10, it says, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. That's the city that you and I also are looking forward to. And as we read these, these words, these verses that the Apostle John shares with us, how can we not be encouraged? How can we not have hope, hope renewed, faith restored, being built up as we anticipate the day, the day that we get to see this holy city. He goes on to write that this city was prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. One of the most beautiful things a man will ever see is his bride coming down the aisle. Ready to meet him. And John says, this is how beautiful that the new Jerusalem will be. Verse 3, he writes, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. We know that in the beginning, God dwelt with Adam and Eve. We know that they sinned and that separated them from fellowship, from that relationship that they once shared with the Lord. And we know that with Moses, there was the tabernacle. The tabernacle represented the dwelling place of God on earth. And we know that when Jesus Christ came, he, he was literally God amongst men, although many didn't realize that. We know when Jesus Christ died and he was resurrected, that he sent his Holy Spirit, and his Holy Spirit dwells in believers. But even that, even with his Spirit dwelling within us, we still fully cannot know just the wholeness of, of God. He's revealed himself to us through his word. But that day, when we're in heaven with him, we will see him face to face. And truly, that fellowship will be restored. And we will get to know God. It's going to be beautiful. He writes here in verse 3 that he heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. I read that already. Verse 4. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. How we yearn for that day where God will wipe every tear from our eyes. Death. No more. No more mourning. No more crying. Suffering. Pain. Hurt. Regret. 
Those former things will have passed away. You have his word. Verses 5 to 8, he says, He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Behold, he says there, I am making all things new. It's hard to imagine. But it's something we must look forward to and receive in faith. Verse 6, he writes, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Jesus Christ is the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He gets the final say. To those who are thirsty, we shall thirst no more. To the one who conquers, He will be our God, and we will be his sons and daughters. Who won't be there in that heavenly city? The cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, those who practice abomination, those who practice sin, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, Liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. That lake of fire was not created for you and I. It was created for the devil and his angels. You know, in, in First Corinthians, right now in the men's study, we're going through First Corinthians, and Paul is writing to a church. He's writing to his brothers and sisters who he, who he cared for very, very deeply. And he was concerned for their spiritual welfare. A lot of these believers were delivered from the very things that I just mentioned. Sexual immorality. Idolatry. idolatry. You know, the city of Corinth was known for its... It's worldly lifestyles. And a lot of believers who were saved, they began to compromise. Yeah, they had the Holy Spirit indwelt, but they weren't living out their faith. They were compromising and they were living carnal lifestyles. And Paul was calling them out on, on, on some of this stuff. You know, he even said that each were some of you you know, uh, you know, the, yeah, we're all sinners. And it's by God's grace that he gives us salvation, that he came to die for our sins, and that through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven. And we have a salvation that is sure. We have a salvation 
that is eternal in Jesus Christ. We have an inheritance that is set to come. The Bible says in Ephesians that we as believers share in every spiritual blessing. Those believers, if you're familiar with the book of Ephesians, were living like like beggars. They were living like paupers because they didn't know what they had. They didn't know who they were in Jesus Christ. And I like how he says here, the one who conquers will have this heritage. The one who conquers. You know, in Jesus Christ, we have victory. What do we have victory over? We have victory over sin. Death no longer has its stain upon us. We have victory. God has given us the victory to overcome sin, to live, uh, to have a life that is victorious. And that's something that we need to remember every day. Realize who we are in Christ. As Paul said, we're to walk in the newness of life. We're to realize that God's mercies are new every morning. His grace bestowed upon us is so rich. His love for us, his long-suffering towards us. May we grab a hold of these promises of God that we read here. And may may we gain a measure of faith as we read through his word, as we read the truth of what God's word promises for us as believers. May we be conquerors. May we inherit this heritage that he has freely given to us. In verse 9, John writes, Then came one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and he spoke to me, saying, Come, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down from heaven. From God, having the glory of God. It's radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, like a clear diamond, clear as crystal. I mean, just that little, <laughs> that little passage right there just staggers the imagination. How the new Jerusalem descends from heaven. And that's the interesting part, because the city, the New Jerusalem, it doesn't land, it doesn't actually come down to earth. It seems as as if it were suspended between heaven and earth. Hard to imagine, right? But this is a real place that the Lord is preparing. And he says in verse 12 that it had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. The names of the 12 tribes of Israel, they were inscribed. It speaks of unity. It speaks of the heritage that the people of God have with Israel. God will never forget the tribes of Israel, even unto eternity. In verse 13, he says, On the east three gates, on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The foundations are an eternal testimony to the apostles of God, to the apostles of Jesus Christ. 
It's their, it speaks of their permanence in God's plan. If it isn't built upon the foundation of the apostles, it isn't the right place for, for God's people. Foundations, walls, gates, what does this kind of remind you of? It speaks of permanence. It speaks of protection. The gates, the walls, they protect. Never again will God's people have to fear anything. Verses 15 says, And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city, verse 16, lies foursquare, meaning it's equal on all four sides. Its length, the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. So imagine a cube, right? The New Jerusalem's length, the height, the width, they're all equal. A cube is reminiscent of the holy place of the tabernacle, suggesting that the entire city is the holy place of God. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement. That equates to 216 feet. That's a pretty big wall. And it's also, he also says it's an angel's measurement. So if you can, as you can imagine, as you can see here, the city of the New Jerusalem is ginormous. It, it's, it's huge. 12,000 furlongs. That equals nearly 1,500 miles. That's the same distance from Maine to Florida, almost the entire east coast. The square footage, it would approximate the size of the moon. A city this size is too large for our finite imagination to take in, to fully understand, to fully grasp. The city itself is 3 billion square miles in size. That's a huge city. And that's just the new city, the heavenly city of the new Jerusalem. That's not even the new earth that God is going to create as well. So much beauty will be encompassed within this city. Verse 18 says that the walls are built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. You know, when we read of this, of jasper, of clear gold, we think of precious stones. And we should take this as literal representations, yet they, re- they really describe the realities of another world that God is preparing for us. I mean, look at the words Paul, or, uh, that John uses when he says it, it's, it's like clear glass. I mean, that, that's the best, that's the closest thing he could describe. It, it was like clear glass. We can't even begin to see it in the fullness until we see it one day with our very eyes. In verse 19, he writes that the foundations of the walls of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper. The second, sapphire. We know sapphire is like a blue, a bluish stone. The third, uh, agate or agate. I'm not sure how that's pronounced. I'm sorry. Agate. <laughs> the fourth, emerald. That's a green stone. It's 12 foundations bearing the names of the 12 apostles are decorated with every type of precious stone. We know that in today's uh, buildings, the foundations typically, you, you can't see the foundations. They're underground. 
but the foundations of the city of the New Jerusalem will all be visible to each of us, and they will be decorated with precious stones. And the light of God will be illuminating and shining through these stones. How beautiful. Verse 20, the fifth, onyx. The list continues. There's, there's really no explanation needed. They're all beautiful, precious stones. The sixth, carnelian. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, chrysopause. The eleventh, jacinth. And the twelfth, amethyst. All of these foundations have the glory and the light of God shining through to bring forth its radiance. Verse 21 says, And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like a transparent glass. Remember, as we read about these dimensions, as we read about all the things of this new Jerusalem, it, it may be confusing, it may be hard or even impossible to understand. But let's remember one thing. This is the city whose maker and architect is God. Hebrews 11.10 We should expect it to be beyond our comprehension. Some of us worry, you know, oh, heaven's not going to have this, or is it going to have that, or, you know, it's not going to have the sea. No more ocean. No more water. I mean, the oceans are important to this earth, to the function of this earth. They encompass two-thirds of this entire earth. Yeah, they serve a purpose. But in heaven, there will be no sea. Verse 22, it talks about the temple. Well, guess what? He says, I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord, the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. The city is marked by the fact that there's no temple in it. Heaven will be full of God's presence. There's no need for the temple. And the Lord himself, the Lamb, Jesus Christ, will be there where we can worship him fully, holy, seeing him face to face. Verse 23 says, That city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it the light. And its lamp, it says, is the Lamb, Jesus Christ. He is the light that shines forth through that city. He is what illuminates heaven. It's going to be glorious. Heaven will be a place of pure worship. You know, things that we need today to help us to worship but sometimes often end up distracting us, whether it be buildings or music systems or, you know, uh, just whatever it is, we won't need that. That'll no longer be an issue. Our focus will be totally on the person that, that we worship, whom we worship, the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. For the Lamb is, is the light, and the Lamb is the one who will truly give us the joy. Verse 24 says that by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Verse 25 says, and its gates, it'll never be shut by day. 
and there will be no night there. The gates will always be open. Twenty six says they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, the New Jerusalem, it'll be um, a place of unimaginable, unimaginable blessing. Are we, like I said, we cannot imagine. This is a glimpse of that holy city. It's a glimpse. But words truly will not be able to describe the city that God is preparing for each of us. Revelation 22 goes on to describe more about some of the things that are in the heavenly city. At this point, the curse will be lifted. That actually takes place well before this. But nothing will be accursed. It will be the throne of God and the Lamb. He will be in it. And his servants, us, the believers, the saints, we will be there to worship him. In this city, there's going to be the tree of life. It will be for the healing of the nations. And the river of life. See, the new Jerusalem is the ultimate fulfillment of all of God's promises. It is God's goodness towards us fully made manifest. Who will be there? You and I will be there because we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Father and the Lamb are there. The angels are there. All of God's redeemed children will be there with us. All the saints of old. See, God raised you up with Christ and seated you with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. It's Ephesians 2.6. As this message that was given to John was divinely um, inspired, it speaks of a coming kingdom. It speaks of a coming day. And it's those things that need to be our focus. Jesus Christ is our key to victory. If we take our focus, if we take our eyes off of eternity, and we get too caught up in this present world, what happens? We seek into desperation. We seek into an ocean of of hopelessness, of depression, in Colossians 3, Paul said to set your, eye, your minds on things that are above. What does that mean? It means to set your eyes on Jesus Christ, to fix your eyes on heaven, to fix your eyes on things that are eternal, things that aren't perishing. The Word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Word of God never changes. It's something that we can trust in. It's something that we could hold on to. It's something that when we face the pressures of this life that we could go to. It's something that when we're facing uh, trials or temptation, whether we're suffering, it's something that we can go to and something that we could trust in and cling to and put our hope in. 
because it's the very word of our living God. It's the word of Christ. And tonight, I pray that, you know, as we just quickly went through this chapter, you know, I pray that you're encouraged. You know, sometimes we need to just refocus and truly, truly set our thing, our minds on things that are above. You know, there's too many distractions in this world that could steer us to the left or to the right. We need to stay straight, eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Perhaps, maybe tonight, some of you are feeling discouraged. Maybe you've had tears. You've had pain. You've had sorrow. Maybe you've had regret. Well, all those things, that's why Jesus came to this earth, to die for our sins. And I pray that each and every one of us, that we would confess our sins, that we would know that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. First John 1.9. Let's hold fast to the promises that we have here in the word of God. You know, as I said earlier, maybe one day we get to go to Jerusalem on a tour just like our pastor and our other brothers and sisters here are doing. What a blessing. But maybe one day we won't. But I know that one day, all of us here, we will get to see the new Jerusalem. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, we come to you with humble hearts. We just, uh, we lift you up. We magnify your name. Father, the heavens and earth declare the glory of the Lord. And we, Lord, give you all honor, all praise, all glory. You are worthy to be praised, Father. We worship you in spirit and in truth. And Father, we just thank you for allowing us to gather this evening to learn about you, to learn about your word, to be encouraged, Lord, to be stirred up even. Lord, help us. We need you. We need your spirit. We need to be refilled, Lord, day by day by day. Father, we need, as we sang earlier, more of you and less of us. Father, how we look forward to that one day where we will get to worship you for eternity, forever and ever, in the new city, in the new heaven, in the new Jerusalem. We look forward to seeing you, God, face to face. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.